Well, good morning, and thank you to Mike for leading the first part of our service this morning. If you've closed your Bible, now would be a good time to reopen it to Psalm 114 as we continue this series through this set of psalms, sometimes called the Halal Psalms, psalms of praise to God, sung at certain celebrations, uh, including Passover. So as Jesus and his disciples met around that Last Supper before his death on the cross, they would have sung these psalms together. Um, I'll pray for us as we come to Psalm 114, and then we'll look at this psalm together. Let's pray. O loving Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are the Ancient of Days, that there is none above you, and we ask for your help this morning to trust you. Amen. Actually, one more thing to mention before we come to Psalm 114, because a few weeks ago at Harvest, I mentioned Ferrero Rocher's, and this week a concerned church member contacted me with a news item about Ferrero Rocher's, and I felt it was important to share that with you all this morning. Um, prepare yourself, it's not a happy news story. This is what it says. A Ferrero Rocher shortage is feared this Christmas after a poor nut harvest. Hazelnut crop levels are lower than usual in Turkey, the world's largest producer of the nut. Learned something today. Thanks to poor weather conditions and damage from insects. Experts have warned this is likely to send prices soaring and cause shortages in the run-up to the festive season when sales of Ferrero Rocher usually boom. Ferrero, which also makes Nutella spread, buys a quarter of the world's hazelnuts. Second fact for you today. So it's, it's quite shocking news really, isn't it? Um, but I felt that was important to share. Now you may be wondering why at the moment I'm focusing so much on Ferrero Rocher news. Uh, why am I focusing on this Ferrero Rocher news? Have I got some kind of sponsorship deal? Am I on commission? And it's not either of those things. It's actually something far more basic. I'm focusing a lot on Ferrero Rocher news at the moment because I'm finding that the bigger news headlines at the moment are a bit overwhelming, aren't they? Over the last week and the last month and the last year even, there's so much that is just overwhelming. And sometimes it's nice to be able to have something much smaller to focus on of nut shortages in Turkey and Ferrero Rocher. Last weekend, seeing events beginning to unfold in the Middle East and the horror and the savagery of Hamas attacks on Israel. The largest number of Jews killed in a single day since the Holocaust. It's a shocking thing, isn't it? And then seeing in the weeks since then the number of people who've been caught up in this conflict who are suffering, civilians, including babies, elderly people, disabled people, people in hospitals suffering through this violence. And aware that there is no quick, easy solution. This is not going to disappear from the news cycles this week. And remembering that this land where all this is happening is a land that in the past has been such a focus of God's work of blessing. 
that this is a land that was once the centre of the worship of the true living God on earth. And now is the focus of such horror and violence and bloodshed. And remembering that Jesus, God the Son, came down and walked that land and went to Jerusalem to bring hope. And yet, so many over the last week have been dying without that hope. It's a lot, isn't it? And then we remember that that's just one of a lot of situations in the world where people are dying in huge numbers. Mike prayed for Ukraine and we could have other situations of war and famine. And then we remember that we have to try and cope with all of this news at the same time as all the stuff that's closer to home, like the illness and the grief and the worries and the weaknesses and the failures. It's a lot, isn't it? We started the service singing together, praise the Lord's name, praise the Lord. I wonder if your praise of the Lord this week has been marked by a certain amount of doubt, fear, uncertainty. Maybe asking yourself questions like, will God really ever bring an end to this darkness? And if he does, can he keep me safe until that day comes? Will my faith survive when it already feels very fragile and shaky? Do you ever find yourselves asking those kind of questions when you consider how overwhelming life is sometimes? Well, I hope that today, having just overwhelmed you with all of that, that Psalm 114 will bring us some heavenly reassurance from the Lord. As we think about everything that's going on in the world and everything that's going on in our lives and all of this stuff that could overwhelm us, that we have this image of the Lord given to us in Psalm 114, an image to encourage us in our doubts, in our fears, in our questions and uncertainties. An image of the Lord to encourage us to keep going, to keep trusting, to keep looking forward with hope. That's why I'm thankful that in this week, after the horrors we've seen, that we're looking at Psalm 114 this morning. So let's look at Psalm 114 and let's join Jesus and his disciples as they're sat there around the Last Supper, singing this psalm together, sing this song about Israel's history. Lots of the psalms are about his, Israel's history and lots of them focus on the same event. Think about how lots of national anthems across the world focus on a big event in the nation's history. Think about the French national anthem focuses on the French Revolution. And you have the American national anthem focusing on the War of 1812. And you've got the Greek national anthem focusing on the Greek War of Independence uh, in a national anthem that has 158 verses. Uh, which is one of two reasons we're not singing it today. But here in Psalm 114 and in so many other psalms, what's the big event in Israel's history that they focus on? The Exodus. Here's the big event. 
When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, here were these people who were not a nation, they were an oppressed people. They were in slavery in Egypt. They were under the domination of this people of strange language. They couldn't understand what was being said about them with this mocking. And there they weren't free to worship their God, but they were under the tyranny of Pharaoh who would not let them go. But at the Exodus, glorious event, they came out from slavery and would go on to settle in a new land, a new land they could call home, a new land where they would be free to worship their God without any Pharaoh interference. And in Psalm 114, we get a slightly unusual perspective on the events of the Exodus. A perspective that I hope will help to reassure us today. It's an unusual perspective because we get to see the Exodus through the eyes of nature. Not through the eyes of the Israelites or through the eyes of Pharaoh and the Egyptians or through the eyes of the other nations, but through the eyes of seas and rivers and mountains and hills. Of the sea in verse 3 that looked, saw the Israelites coming and fled. The river Jordan, which is a big river, you need to think of a big river, and it turns back. And then the mountains and hills that are skipping and jumping like rams and sheep and lambs. And I think we shouldn't think of like a happy, like sheep party kind of image, that these are sheep jumping in fright. And what is it that causes nature to flee, to turn back, to jump that's the question in verses 5 and 6. Why is it, O sea, that you flee? Why is it, O Jordan, that you turn back? Why is it, O mountains, that you skip like rams? Is it because you see the Israelites and you see how great and mighty and powerful they are as a people and so you run scared? Is it because you look and you see the leadership skills of Moses and Joshua and so you flee at their command? Is that why? No. What is it that causes the sea to flee and the Jordan to turn back? The presence of the Lord. Verse 7, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. And why was the Lord present? Not just to do random miracles and to cause the earth to shake. He'd come down to rescue his people. The God who is so high and yet stooped so low to lift his people up. We see it here. That God had come to rescue his people. They had this plan to make this people, in verse 2, his sanctuary, his dominion. To bring them into this special relationship with him. A relationship that's described in the book of Exodus in these terms. A people for God's own possession. A holy nation, a kingdom of priests. That was God's plan, and nothing could stand in his way. No pharaoh, no sea, no mountain. And God had made promises in the past. Did you notice in verse 7 that 
God is not, not just called the Lord, but he's called the God of Jacob. Jacob, by this point, is no longer around. And yet God had made promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to his people. And now we see at the Exodus, God literally moving heaven and earth to keep those promises. We use that phrase, don't we? We talk about people moving heaven and earth to make things happen, like I'm going to move heaven and earth to make sure I get Ferrero Rocher this Christmas. And normally when we talk about people moving heaven and earth, what do we mean? We mean they're going to make a few phone calls. We mean they're going to make a few phone calls and try to make something happen. <laughs> what does it mean when God moves heaven and earth? What it means the sea looks and flees and the Jordan turns back. And the mountains skip like rams, the hills like lambs, all of creation moves at his command. That God sees his people at the Red Sea, fleeing Egypt, terrified at the pursuing army. And he causes the sea to part so they can cross over on dry land. And when his people are about to enter the promised land, quite a few years later, well, a similar kind of thing happened at the Jordan River. The water stopped so they could go through on dry land. <coughs> and in between those two bodies of water, you've got a lot of wandering about in the wilderness. And when they were wandering in the wilderness, the Israelites did a lot of the kind of thing we would do, grumbling and complaining and turning from God. And what did God do? Well, he moved heaven and earth to provide for them that this God who caused the waters to flee then caused the waters to miraculously flow. Verse 8, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water, they caused water to come out of a rock to feed his people, uh, just as he caused manna to fall from heaven, miraculously to feed his people, moving heaven and earth to rescue his people. Not because they were mighty they weren't they were weak they were fearful they were sinful now this didn't happen because they were mighty but because the Lord is mighty yes. mighty to save that's what Jesus and his disciples <laughs> were singing about as they look back at Israel's history this God who is mighty to save over all of heaven and earth to rescue his people. And the reason that's reassuring for us today, all these years later, is because the Exodus was not a one-off. That God didn't begin a season of retirement after he brought his people into the promised land. He didn't retire. He kept working and he continued to be the God who moved heaven and earth for his people. The reason that the earth trembles in verse 7 is not because of something that happened in the past. Now, the earth is called to tremble because of something that will still happen as the Lord comes. That's what can give us reassurance today when we feel overwhelmed, when we wonder if the darkness 
will ever end, when we wonder if God can keep us, realise this God had more in store than just that event in Egypt. And as Jesus and his disciples sang this psalm around the Last Supper, well, Jesus was looking ahead to another very imminent, very near, earth-shaking event. Another rescue. Another exodus. Another moment when God would show his earth-shaking power. Another moment when God would show his complete commitment to rescuing his people. That Jesus was looking ahead to the moment when God would act to rescue people from a slavery much more serious than that slavery in Egypt. When God would act to defeat an enemy far greater than Pharaoh. When God would act to gather a multitude of people, not just from one nation, one land, but from every nation. When God would act to bring people across a river deeper than Jordan. When God would act to lead people to a land more glorious than any other. As Jesus and his disciples sang these words at that last supper. They were not far away from those earth-shaking events of that first Easter. Jesus knew that he had come on a rescue mission. He had come to rescue people from slavery, to rescue people of every nation from slavery, a slavery that's worse than slavery in Egypt, worse than the physical slavery that's appeared so much in the history of our world. A more oppressive slavery, spiritual slavery, that Jesus came to rescue people from slavery to sin. That Jesus says, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. But that he had come to bring freedom. Everyone who commits sin, which is all of us, without Jesus we are slaves to sin. The problem isn't just that we do wrong things that displease God. It's that we're trapped in a cycle of doing wrong things that displease God. We're trapped in slavery to sin, far away from God. Under the the power of a a tyrant who wants to keep us enslaved. Not Pharaoh, but Satan. We're a few weeks away from Halloween where lots of people will make light and make fun of, of the devil. But the Bible says you do that at your peril because the devil is real. And he exercises this tyranny. And he knows that if we remain trapped in our sin, in that slavery, the end result will be death, physical death and eternal spiritual death. But Jesus wonderfully, gloriously came to break those bonds of slavery, to bring us freedom. To bring us out of that slavery into a new relationship with God. That's why he faced death on the cross. 
facing that judgment that we deserve for our sin so we can be free. And then he rose from the dead, rose victorious, victorious over sin, over Satan, over death. So he could lead us out of slavery to sin, so he could lead us out from the power of Satan, so he could lead us out even through death, so he could lead us to know forgiveness, freedom, life. And what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The earth trembled at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. And what happened when Jesus rose from the dead? The earth trembled at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, the God who had come to rescue his people and was literally moving heaven and earth to make it happen. So that now, today, if you're trusting in Jesus, rather than being in slavery to sin, here's what the Apostle Peter says is true of you. You are part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That in the words of, of Psalm 114, as we trust in Jesus, we have become his sanctuary, his dominion. That those words, Israel became his dominion. Those are not words for us to, to apply directly to the state of Israel. That God's plan has always been to apply those words to a multinational community of worshippers, Jew and Gentile, who would join together to be his sanctuary, his dominion. People filled with the Holy Spirit. People being built together to be a holy temple to the Lord. People living under his rule and blessing with him as king. That's what the Lord has done. That's the result of that earth-shaking event, that first Easter. And this God still hasn't retired yet. He's still working to provide for us as we journey through this world, just as he provided for his people in the wilderness, that he's still the God who turns the rock into a pool of water and flint into a spring of water. I was thinking about one of the hymns that we sang on Wednesday, and just to mention the flowers that are around the building, as you may have guessed, were from Maureen's funeral on Wednesday, and the, the family wanted them to remain in the building today so we could enjoy them as a church, the church where Maureen uh, was such a blessing to us and uh, such an encouragement. And one of Maureen's favourite hymns. All the way my Saviour leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter, and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see.
Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water, that when we feel weak and overwhelmed, remember the Lord is mighty, mighty to save. He moves heaven and earth for his people. And one day, here's where the, the greatest reassurance comes. One day, because God has not retired yet, he's not finished his work, one day God will bring an end to all the darkness, all of it. There is one more earth-shaking event still to come in history. The most earth-shakingly earth-shaking event there could be when Jesus comes back and the heavens and the earth as we know it now will be completely shaken and all of the evil and all of the darkness and all of the sin will all fall and be destroyed forever. And all that will remain, all that will remain standing on that day will be God's kingdom, God's people, living in relationship with him in a glorious new heavens and a new earth. God's kingdom of joy and peace and love. Here's what we read in Hebrews chapter 12. And these are words that may remind some of you of our Haggai series, which was a while ago now. But in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer talks a bit about what happened at Mount Sinai when the earth shook and there were earthquakes and thunder and lightning and all sorts of stuff. And then he gives us some words of warning and words of promise. Verse 25 of Hebrews 12, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking, that's God. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, back at Sinai, that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I'll shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. There's one final time when the earth will tremble at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. And the end result of that for those who know Jesus, the end result will be security and peace and life in this kingdom that cannot be shaken. But that promise comes in the context of a very important warning. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. But today, see that you do not refuse, reject, ignore God. He speaks to us through his words. Through all the chaos in the world and the darkness, sometimes the world can feel like a very stable place to live, especially perhaps here in the UK and things, you have Monday followed by Tuesday and Wednesday and lots of our usual patterns and habits of each week keep going as usual. But one day, this current world order will be completely shaken. And as this world is shaken and as darkness and evil falls and is destroyed, there'll be people who are cast into judgment. 
which will be terrifying because our God is a consuming fire. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All these things that seem permanent to us will come to an end. And there's only one way we can be safe on that day. That's to find refuge in Jesus. To find refuge in his kingdom. So that when, yet once more, God shakes not only the earth, but also the heavens, well, we'll be able to stand safely in his presence for all eternity. I think back to earlier this year where there were terrible earthquakes in Turkey, Syria. And looking at some of the photos of the damage of the earthquakes there. And in the photos, you'd see all this rubble from the earthquakes. But then you'd see some buildings that were still standing. And in particular, there were some hospitals that had been built with a new kind of construction technology that meant that they suffered very little damage, even when all of the other buildings around them were completely flattened. If we want to be left standing on that day when judgment comes, well, God has given us a refuge where we can be safe when the earth and heavens are shaken. He's given us a strong tower that we can run in to be safe. That strong tower is the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus. So we come to him. We'll be safe. And we'll enjoy that kingdom that cannot be shaken. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking today. It's a really serious warning. And we don't know when this day is going to come. Today's not a day to put off and say, well, I'll refuse him who's speaking today. And then maybe next month, next year, maybe then I'll give it another listen. We can't do that. Today, as you hear God's word, today is the day to come. If you have not already come, today is the day to come to find life in Jesus, to find reassurance, to find hope. And if you feel God prompting you this morning to come, I'd love to chat with you afterwards and pray with you you would know what it is to have Jesus as your refuge through everything we face, even into eternity. One day, God will bring an end to the darkness. So those questions I asked at the beginning, the doubts we can have when we feel everything is so overwhelming all around us and in our lives. Will God ever bring an end to the darkness of this world? Psalm 114 tells us, yes. Can he keep me safe until that day? Psalm 114 says, yes. Will my faith survive even when it feels so fragile? Well, we have a mighty God. He can keep us. I think there's a lot of wisdom in the advice that I've heard in various forms from various people. The advice that each morning 
before you read the news. Read the Bible. Simple advice, isn't it? Before you listen to the news, listen to God's word. Because if we start the day focusing on all the stuff that's going on, and then remembering the stuff that's going on in our lives as well, we'll very quickly be overwhelmed by the horror of it, despairing, so aware of our weakness and frailty. But as we come to God's word day by day, well, bit by bit he helps us to see all of those events in light of the fact that he is the Lord who is mighty to save. That he is the Lord over all creation. That he is the Lord who moves heaven and earth for his people. That he is the Lord who turns uh, the rock into a pool of water. That he is the Lord whose presence causes the earth to tremble. That's why it's so vital that we keep coming together to meet together as God's people, to hear his word together, to meet together to pray during the week, that we encourage each other to keep beholding our God together when there's so much in the world that could overwhelm us and make us fearful and filled with doubts. We come and see this great earth-shaking God who will keep us until that day. That all darkness ends forever. Let me pray for us.